0: Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian Startup Ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. A Newcastle company like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. Our Newcastle company, like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, and welcome to Day One, the podcast that spotlights Australian startups, founders, and the organizations that empower Australian entrepreneurship. We go back to the beginning to tell the story of Australia's most inspiring founders and how they built their companies. You're listening to a special interview series as part of a documentary W2D1 is producing about the history of the Australian startup ecosystem. On the episode today, we have...
1: Hi, yes, I'm Georgie Turner from uh, Tidal Ventures, and we are a seed stage focused... VC investor in the Australian ecosystem. We have an office in the US. We, we invest, you know, mostly in uh, B2B software businesses uh, across a range of really interesting thematics that we're seeing. You know, we started the fund a couple of years ago, seeing a bit of a gap in the seed ecosystem in Australia and wanting to really help founders with that journey um, from that sort of, you know, pre-product market fit point through to their Series A race.
0: So the pre-product, that was a gap in the ecosystem that you observed. Was that the gap?
1: Not so much the pre-product part. You know, we we definitely are seeing a big pickup around that accelerator phase. Um, you know, kind of ideation and getting to the MVP point and post that. But what we are seeing is a huge gap is we just don't have enough founders and enough investors who really understand how to build an mvp and actually test it in a market and um we don't have enough investors that are really willing to put their capital on the table pre-product market fit and, that, and that's the sort of space that that we really specialize in at title
0: when would you say like what year would you say you kind of got involved in this was, was it prior to all the vocabulary around the modern wave of startups in australia
1: <laughs> yes yeah definitely so I, I actually first got involved with startups in, it was about 2012. I was actually working for a US tech company that had just started their Australian office. So I was selling, I was actually selling managed hosting solutions and the earliest adopters of cloud were actually tech startups. This was, you know, what I would say is definitely well before we had an established ecosystem in Australia and it was just before AWS arrived in Australia, which was a massive inflection point. And I was working for, for a company called Rackspace, which was later private equity acquired. We had um, a data center in Sydney. we were actually selling, you know, physical kit in the data center, but also starting to build a, a cloud. And it was funny, the, the sales guys in our team, we always sort of say, oh, this cloud thing will never catch on. And then, <laughs> and then two years later, aws were hosting most of the aussie startup ecosystem so it's always a bit of a laugh when we look back on that 2012 2013
0: yeah so back in 2012 2013 uh, from your perspective what did the ecosystem look like in terms of uh, size community what, what companies you know like you said amazon wasn't quite here then were they like what did the landscape look like
1: yeah, AWS, they sort of launched their cloud down here in about 2012. And that was definitely a, a kickstarter because they did a lot. They started to do a lot around the startup ecosystem at that point. In terms of number of companies, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. We had maybe, you know, 20 or 30 tech startups as customers. And, and I would say in terms of the addressable market that we were selling into, that was probably about it. A lot of them were sort of sitting with just a single server. And we were sort of looking at them, how we could get them converted to cloud, for example. But I just remember back then, Campaign Monitor was the biggest Australian tech startup. And this was before they had they had um, raised what what back then was a huge round from Insight Partners. They, I think they did that in about 2014. And that was a little bit of a, an interesting kind of kickstarter for I know a lot of the other founders that, that we hung out with the ecosystem at that time, that, oh, you know, this big US VC is interested in investing in this Australian startup. Uh, obviously, everyone knew about it last year, but they weren't really classed as as much of a startup at that point.
0: Around 2012, Fishburners was launched. Yep. What, what else was visible um, in terms of startup support?
1: Um, not a lot, to be honest. Um, there, there was um, AWS hosting credits. So AWS was starting to sort of give away a bit of free, Cloud and they were doing events around that. Um, we were running events at Rackspace, trying to bring together people in the ecosystem. Fishburners was the only the only sort of network that I am aware of that was available back then. I think it was pretty disparate. Other than that, um, people hanging out online and not really getting together in person in the Sydney ecosystem, anyway.
0: How have you observed the the ecosystem change and you know evolve over the last what eight nine years since you first kind of got involved?
1: Well you know first of all we we had some great success with our first venture capital funds in Australia. The likes of Blackbird and Airtree and Squarepeg sort of made their mark, which made uh, capital more available and the business model and how you actually got funding behind some of these businesses became quite clear gave everyone something to aspire to I suppose we also had like Startmate Startmate became a thing there was a path then for early stage founders to actually try to muddle their way through that early process um, so trying to lay the foundations I suppose to get volume and some standardization into the, the, the tech ecosystem to try to almost teach our subject matter experts how to take what they know about a problem and turn it into a business. And, and that has really been, I think, you know, that sort of 2015 to 2018 period was the laying the foundations of that. Um, and since then we've become far more mature, much bigger funds being raised, success stories that you can actually, where you can actually meet the founder, you know, the life of a camper, is, it's in your mind, you've seen the founder, you know, you can aspire towards that outcome and an actual volume of people in the ecosystem who have been on the journey from start to finish. Some of these businesses, that can then feed back through into uh, an expert ecosystem to talk to founders. It's actually rare now that I will meet a founder that doesn't have some kind of interesting ex-operator in their advisory arsenal. So we've actually got you know people who have made it and who have learned along the way giving back to the ecosystem, which I think is something that's probably only really developed in the last two years or so.
0: What's one of the biggest challenges about being a VC that people might not realise?
1: It's a really, really difficult job because you see a lot of really interesting opportunities, but what may be a successful company may not necessarily fit the returns profile of the fund that you're actually investing there's a, a something that I think a lot of founders don't appreciate is that venture capital is is just another asset class of you know capital that's come from someone's pocket that needs to be deployed for a return profile and how you go about doing that there's a, a little bit of a playbook to it but there's also a whole heap of things that you need to consider that go well beyond whether the founder is great whether the business idea is great there's all sorts of other things you need to think about portfolio construction, um, the capital intensity of the business, whether or not you're sticking to your fund thematic or not, whether you're doing what your LPs want you to do, it's very complicated to start as an investment team. When if you haven't operated together for a period of time and you don't have those things bedded down with your LPs as well.
0: How did you get started in that world?
1: Uh, I kind of, I kind of uh, stumbled upon it. Um, I I had started my career in investment banking, so I had. You know a basic training and commercial skill set, I suppose. Having done a finance degree and then done investment banking for a little while, um, I I found advising to be a bit boring. To be honest, I wanted to actually be in the thick of a a business that was growing, and so that that was when I made the decision to leave early and and jump over onto tech into a tech company. So um, those are the best years of my life. You know, I spent so I, I made lifelong friends working at Rackspace. I saw so much about go to market. In a specific region, so like taking a, a US product and, and applying it to an Australian market, Southeast Asian market as well. And then I was approached by a headhunter who said to me, "You know, you're gonna you're in tech, but don't you want to not waste your um, your finance background and maybe consider investing?" Um, and that was when I I had a, a couple of different VC opportunities put in front of me. Um, at the time, I didn't even you know wasn't really aware that this ecosystem was evolving in Australia and to be honest, Adam, just like almost every decision I've made in my life, I just took a bit of a punt <laughs> and, um, and fell into it. And yeah, I've been doing that ever since. So it was the best decision I've made. Obviously, I, you know, I've stuck with it, and, and would love to do this for the rest of my life. It's a great job.
0: What are some of the biggest gaps today that you that you've observed in like where could we improve?
1: Oh so much that we could do to improve. We struggle with, you know, I think we do a really good job of taking people who have subject matter expertise in a specific field and giving them the confidence that they can go out and solve a problem that they've seen. And I think that's something that our accelerator. Um, the people who run our accelerator program, Startmate and Antler in Australia, they're exceptional and they are really great at bringing together cohorts of experts to really skill up those subject matter expert founders. Um, but what I think we kind of suck at is all of our great engineering and product management and design talent is kind of sitting within the bigger tech companies and trying to draw those people out, the people who who know how to start and, and actually do user testing and develop an MVP and test that in market and ask questions about whether or not it truly solves the problem or not, and then iterate on that and and figure out the best way to go to market with it, for example. Those are the sorts of skill sets that it's tried and tested. You know, that in Silicon Valley, these people are a dime a dozen. There's so many of them. We don't have enough of those people in Australia and we're not doing a good enough job of enticing them out of bigger companies to take a bit of a punt on an early stage business.
0: What are we? What are we doing really well? Aside from, you know, that you just mentioned something that we we did really really well. The the accelerator programs. What what else as a community do you think like, what what makes us unique? What what sets us apart, if anything?
1: Well, I think I think in Australia, and I mean this is coming from from my perspective, only have ever having invested from Australia, right? So I'm a bit of a caveat there. But I think what makes us unique is that for our founders to be successful, they have to think about acquiring customers globally from a remote area of the world where many, many would say they have no right to be selling into big markets like the U S or Europe. And we, you know, we fully embody the underdog mindset in the way that we approach growth out of this country. And I think know, some people would say that that makes us naive. But I would also say it makes us scrappy and gritty and immune to the trappings of the Silicon Valley growth playbook herd mentality. So we sit in a, in a bit of an echo chamber down here sometimes, but I also think that it, it helps us think from first principles more so than you can in a more developed ecosystem.
0: What do you think that is in terms of the thinking behind we not having the right to sell into big markets? What, what? Where does that come from?
1: I think it just comes from not having close access to customers. Usually, you want to be sort of sitting in the sitting close to the customer when you're building a product. And Australia does have, you know, we've got a a good little test bed of customers. But generally, if you're a B two B business, you need to be selling globally in order to get to sort of more than maybe five million of, of revenue if you want to attract capital post series a sort of stage you want to be selling into global markets and you've got to kind of figure that out early i don't think that there's many investors in australia that would have, you know put that on the on the requirement for a founder early on a lot of founders re- recognize this early on as well
0: i interviewed a, a founder um, damien mahoney from stackler for a series that we ran about a year ago i think
1: yeah yeah i know damien
0: yeah, and he, like, pretty early on, he made the decision to move over to the US to have an office over there to sell globally. Do you think that is, you know, really important to have a physical location to sell into a market?
1: Um, so I will say yes, but to be determined how COVID has changed that because there is a, a big movement at the moment around certain markets that lend themselves really well to zero-touch Growth, no sales team, and that where you could argue that there really is no need for there to be a local presence in order to entice a, a company to take up and use your product. Um, so I think I think COVID will change that somewhat. Having said that, for specific companies, I don't think that it necessarily that they have to be there for sales, but they may want to. they may choose to be closer to the customer, or where there's a volume of customers while they're building the product to engage in ecosystems that have been built around that. I mean, in Australia, for example, we have quite a rich, I think we have a, a great agriculture tech ecosystem. And so engaging in those, in those community discussions and being close to the, the customer that you're trying to sell to, I think would be important for founders wanting to sell into that market in Australia.
0: I want to ask you the advice question now. I ask I ask everybody this question. Um, if a brand new founder came to you tomorrow, what one piece of advice would you give them that would help them not fail?
1: Um, okay, only one piece. <laughs> so I think pertinent to a discussion I just had this morning, I think that the one thing I would say is you really have to go slow before you can go fast. So this relates specifically to the seed phase that we specialize in at Tidal. You just, you can't solve all of the problems at once. So just take your time to figure out what it is that your customers really want. Put the effort into that early. Don't assume that you know what it is. Then don't assume that it's what they're telling you. It's really the things that you choose not to do that will make or break the success of your product. Focus, focus is everything at the early stage.
0: Wow. That's, it's just like um, get your beachhead, your landing point that you can kind of build from.
1: Yeah, that's right. We, we actually, I think we've almost swung too far in the direction of here's the big vision of how I'm going to be a billion dollar business <laughs> where we said to startups, you know, you need to have that big, big, um, big picture vision early on. I actually think that a lot of the time you almost Thank do you. that with your eyes closed, you know, with a lot of markets because it's so abstract. But what's actually really hard is figuring out what are you going to build today with limited, limited capital that your customer really, really desperately wants. And that piece is, is a piece that we try to nail at the C phase. And, you know, it can take just sort of stepping back and really thinking to do it rather than trying to, um, you know, constantly sell and raise capital. You know, there's a focus on speed in, in the market, but there's also a, a time to stop and try to just think as well listen to what your customers are
0: telling you um this last question i have is not really a question with these last few minutes that we have uh, i want to just open the floor for you to talk about whatever maybe is top of mind what what you think is really important keeping in mind that what i'm trying to do with this series is create a documentary that accurately and honestly chronicles the history of startups in australia we want all sorts we want everyone to listen to this really from the the startup community, founders, investors, policymakers, academics. What would you tell them what what would you want them to hear any any one of those categories or all of them?
1: So what I would love for policy makers and you know leaders, decision makers in the country to hear is that it is still too hard for a great piece of Aussie, product or design talent like a product manager um, for example within a tech company that has a mortgage and they're making a big salary at Google or Atlassian it's just still too hard for them to take a punt on an early stage product even if they feel passionately about the problem to be solved so we need to try to create incentivization structures to encourage our best engineering product management and design talent to to not only come back to australia but the ones that are here to take a risk and join the innovation ecosystem and work on something that's that's new yeah we have some tax breaks at the moment for uh employees that are um given options within early stage startups, but there are a lot of limitations around those tax breaks and those structures at the moment. Uh, And and it's not always, you know, it needs to move with how the startup ecosystem is evolving and moving. Um, So that's what I would say is that those, the talent is what we lack at the moment in order to improve the success rate of our early companies. And, And that's where we should be focusing time and attention.